0: Welcome to MedTech Connect, a digital health regulations podcast from Sightline and MedTech Insight. I'm your host, Hannah Daniel, U.S. regulatory reporter. Every month, we interview a digital health regulations expert about the latest and greatest in digital health, from cybersecurity to AI to the fight to protect medical data. New episodes come out monthly, so make sure to follow Pharma Intelligence on your favorite podcasting platform. In this episode, I speak to Eric Henry, Senior Quality and Regulatory Compliance Advisor at King & Spaulding. He takes us through some of the year's most influential digital health regulations, as well as some we might have missed in all the hullabaloo. We also talk about the new Quality Management Systems Regulation and things that he's looking forward to in 2024. Eric, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today.
1: pleasure.
0: So we are going to do a little bit of a wrap up about digital health regulations. We've been covering digital health regulations on this podcast. We started at the beginning of 2023. So to wrap up the year, I thought it would be a great idea to kind of go over what's made the biggest impact, what's made a splash and what we should look out for in 2024. So before we start, can you introduce yourself, Eric?
1: Hi. Yeah, I'm Eric Henry. I I work for the law firm King & Spalding, which I joined about five years ago after about 30 years in industry, mostly in the the high-tech sector. Worked for some of the larger players in the medical device industry. So now I just help people solve problems for our attorneys and our clients.
0: What do you feel like were the most impactful rules this year? These can be draft guidances. These can be policies. They can be from the FDA, other agencies, Congress.
1: I mean, obviously it was, you know, if I go back to December of last year, we had the we had the omnibus bill, which had some significant impacts in the industry that carried forward into 2023, particularly in the cybersecurity arena. There was a draft pre-market cybersecurity guidance that came out last year. It got finalized this year and incorporated into that finalized guidance was an element from the omnibus bill that that Congress passed in December, which is the requirement for software bills of material. So, I think one of the most impactful guidances uh, was this pre market cybersecurity guidance. What I find interesting is that in in many of the clients that I work with, and even some of the companies that I worked with when I was in industry, the attitude towards guidance sort of shifted. And people saw guidance as this optional thing sometimes, and sometimes it was treated as regulation. But uh, in this particular case, we have a little bit of both in the pre market guidance. Obviously, the FDA expects the things that are implemented in guidance to be implemented unless you have a better idea that you can justify. But in the case of the software bill of material, that is a requirement uh, that has a statutory uh, authority behind it. So I think the secure framework, the software bill of materials, the risk management pieces, specifically around things like threat modeling, those are all very important in The pre-market guidance. We also got the finalization this year of the pre-market software functions guidance from the FDA, and I think that was a huge kind of step forward. Um, some people may not see it as, as that. And I know that I got into some discussions with folks from the FDA that were involved in this where they were concerned that things w- that were used for review uh, of submissions within the FDA, those checklists were not as extensive as what's in the guidance. And yet the guidance is a, a guidance around what you would put into a pre-market submission. But uh, my contention and, and a lot of those that I work with and work for is that if, if you're not going to put it in this guidance, then put it somewhere. Things like a, a lot of the details around software architecture and so on uh, were definitely part of that uh, requirements. And, and there was a little bit of concern within the FDA, within the agency, and with others that this is going too far. This is too many requirements from the FDA. It's getting too much into the weeds. But my view is it creates good practice, good engineering practice, and we don't currently have that level of detail in other standards. Uh, so this was a, a good step forward in my view. The other thing we got I think in the in the machine learning and AI world was the predetermined change control plan draft guidance that was a big one that we were all waiting for and as we have already seen from the agency this is this is a document that actually started its life in the IVD world I think in the FDA outside of digital health and as the FDA is moving forward a PCCP will have a use it is much broader than just digital health applications and AI and machine learning. But the first real guidance that the FDA put out with that document as a part of it was for AI and machine learning. One of the big things in that guidance, I think, that sort of disappointed some of us was that we were hoping it would support adaptive algorithms, those algorithms that learn in, the, in their intended use environment and make changes without human intervention based on that learning. But instead, what we got was a, was, a, was a PCCP that, if approved, would allow you to make changes within a certain set of constraints defined in the PCCP that might otherwise require a submission, but would not if that PCCP is approved. However, all the modifications that you described there must go through formalized design change. And design controls which means that it can't learn in the field and update itself in the field it still has to come back to the mothership for changes i guess if i looked outside the us the big elements there are in the ai act this year we did get just within the last week or so we got some agreement in the trilogue discussions in the eu ai act around what that's going to look like i've already seen some articles in the financial times and other places where the french government uh, in particular, the German government as well. I think the Italian government uh, could possibly be trying to make some changes to the AI Act, even at this late stage as the uh, parliament has to then approve it for it to become final. So we'll see. Everybody got excited about that language, that draft language now being adopted by the, by the three parties. But we'll see what actually ends up in the thing that's approved by the parliament. And then we have finally, I think I've mentioned the, Europe, the European health data space. We got some news that discussions on that. Document are going to start moving forward in a real substantive way. And the real advantage in the, in this, in the, not only the health space, but across the life sciences more broadly is the availability of health data for um, all European residents, anonymized, of course, compliant with GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation, for clinical research for use in developing new technologies and and innovative treatments. So uh, those are kind of the big things that popped into my head.
0: Yeah, and I'm, I'm really glad that you mentioned what's going on, especially in the EU, because we have EU readers. But then also, if you're a digital health manufacturer and you're looking to market in Europe, now you have to contend with the AI Act. So maybe that might have slid under the radar for some people, even though it's a huge thing. So what other things do you think maybe slid under the radar in terms of digital health regulations or didn't get the attention that you think they deserved? Like, for instance, PCCP headlines everywhere. You couldn't walk five feet in a conference without someone talking to you about a PCCP. But, you know, are there things that you felt like deserved maybe that much attention that weren't getting that?
1: I think so. Um, Probably within the last three or four years, I learned about an organization that if you're in the point of care space in, in hospitals, you live with all the time in the health IT area, which is the ONC, the Office of the National Coordinator for Health IT. Most of us in the medical device arena have never heard of them, don't worry about them, but if you are going to put a health IT system, specifically electronic health records or clinical decision support software into that environment, there is a certification scheme under 45 CFR parts 170 and 171, I think, that have been around for a while, but within the last year or so, the ONC, uh, actually with some collaboration from the FDA, put together a proposed rule to modify that, uh, that regulation to accommodate AI and machine learning in the clinical decision support space, among other things. It's a very detailed regulation. The certification scheme gets into a great level of detail in terms of what data attributes need to exist, how they're used, probably the most one of the most technical and lengthy regulations I've ever read in the life that deal with the life sciences. That was finalized just this last week. Uh, we, we now have really the first real regulation around AI and machine learning in its broad application in the life sciences, and it's sitting in that point of care space under the ONC's oversight. Uh, technically, this certification is a, is a voluntary certification, but it's also tied to reimbursement from CMS, so it's not all that voluntary after all. But that, I think that's one of those things that really flew under the radar. The other thing that flew under the radar, I guess n- not so much new, but accelerating, escalating involvement would be that of the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC their work in uh, regulating AI, and also we'll see where it goes, but there's a proposal in the Senate that would actually make more concrete their authority in regulating AI. And the FTC, although they've not focused their enforcement work on a life sciences company yet, has very heavy, very significant enforcement tools at at its disposal. One of the ones that, that gets, the, I think, the most attention from the people I talk to is one called algorithmic disgorgement. And when the FTC decides that your system provides bad advice, inaccurate information to a consumer uh, or causes some harm in that way, they can leverage this tool to make a company delete the entire algorithm and all associated data including data used to train and, and uh, validate that algorithm. So it's a very harsh tool. They've, they've used it, if my memory serves, five times so far. They've not used it on a life sciences company, but I think that clock is just ticking away and we will see that at some point. So I think FTC is an agency and the regulations they're following has kind of fallen under the radar for much many of us, but it, it could be that a piece of legislation that's currently floating around Congress, if it gets passed, uh, would increase that authority. And again, I think it's just a matter of time before a large life sciences company becomes a target.
0: Yeah, that definition of, you said, advises someone incorrectly or. Right. I mean, in healthcare, that's that's everywhere.
1: <laughs> yeah, it happens all the time. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, every human that gives advice sometimes gives advice that's not the right advice. And it's an, an algorithm is no different in that respect, uh, in that it only gives it, provides advice that's as good as the data that it's, was used to train and validate.
0: Yeah. So. I guess we'll keep an eye on the Senate, but in general, what other things should we be looking out for in 2024? You mentioned that there are some draft guidances. Um, I will link to the story we wrote about the A list and B list of FDA guidances, so we kind of know what's coming from the FDA. But yeah, what what are you keeping your eye on in 2024?
1: Yeah, the digital health space. I think the thing, the things that um, are the most on my radar are number one, finalizing the PCCP guidance, um, and number two a general guidance around AI and machine learning. You know, the FDA has a software development guidance out there called the General Principles of Software Validation. It's been out there forever since 2005. We have the pre-market software guidance that was just released. But now take that life cycle, sort of the sequence of events that has to occur to get software from development through implementation and out into the field, and layer on top of that all the activities that have to occur in the AI and machine learning space. And so that is on the A list for this next year. And I think that draft guidance is going to be a very big deal. Um, Obviously, I think we should look at what the final, the final final is going to be on the EU AI Act. I think we should look at how the discussions are kicking off in the European health data space. Um, And frankly, in the US, as we think through um, cybersecurity, uh, one, of the, one of the things that may be, again, kind of under the radar for a lot of companies, especially multinationals, is at the state level within the U.S., uh, legislation on privacy and security that might have some impact on companies doing business in those, those U.S. states, uh, particularly California, Colorado, a few others um, have, have taken some great – gone to great lengths to put pretty strict – Uh, protections for their citizens, their residents into place, companies will have to deal with that as well. So I think 2024, we're only going to see more of that.
0: And something else that we've been watching for a while that you have a lot of experience in, but the new quality management system regulation. Do you mind quickly just kind of talking about how it might affect digital health manufacturers?
1: Right. The QMSR is really just 21 CFR Part 820, which is the medical device regulation, the quality system regulation we've had since the mid-90s, which came from the old GMPs from the 70s. It's getting its first update since the 90s. And the update is essentially a tossing out of the old quality system regulation. And in, in its place, by reference, incorporating the ISO medical device standard, which is ISO 1345, the 2016 revision. And the only thing in the new 21 CFR Part 820, other than reference to that standard, are just areas where the FDA wants clarification, wants to provide clarification, or has some, some processes or definitions that it thinks are different and need to be uh, addressed that either at 1345 didn't have, or that the FDA might have disagreed with, uh, the size of the regulation in pages has dropped significantly. That proposed rule is uh, was put out a year and a half ago maybe now, um, but uh, it it has now been finalized. And that final revision, really in response to a huge number of comments, is now um, at the White House, at the Office for, I think, Information and Regulatory Affairs, something like that, OIRA. They are the last step in their regulatory review before this document is published in the Federal Register and becomes the new medical device regulation in the United States. Will everyone have to adopt it on that day? No. There will be a transition period. The proposed rule uh, proposed a one-year transition. I'm personally in the camp that kind of likes that. I think it's. I think that's adequate. Uh, but there are those that have proposed anywhere from one to four years and we'll see where the FDA lands in terms of that transition period, but it means a new inspection scheme. Uh, It means that some things FDA wasn't looking at, they will likely now be looking at during inspections, like management reviews, internal audits, and supplier audits. So we should see hopefully some transitional guidance to go with that as well. I think it's obviously going to affect everyone. The most impact would be for those firms that do business in the United States only that have a QSR quality system, they'll have to make, I think, some significant changes. But obviously, if you're part of the medical device single audit program, where the FDA and four other countries, as well as some some others that may not be active participants, allow the results of a a notified body audit to function as routine inspections. Um, If you're already part of that program, even if you're not 1345 certified, you basically are following 1345 because that program follows that standard. So all of those things, I could go on on and on about this. I've, I've talked about it quite a bit in other forums. Um, But the QMSR is going to have a huge effect. Part of digital health manufacturers are concerned and stakeholders. I I think it simplifies things for manufacturers across the board, including those in digital health. I think that there are some scoping issues that may incorporate non-device with that standard and some of the associated guidances that go with it. I think what we'll see are some scoping changes around what's in scope and out of scope. Uh, But for the most part, I frankly don't see a lot of differences. In the 2016 revision, some of the changes, including those dealing with software, specifically non-product software, things that are in the quality system or managing production, the language around that aligned with what the FDA already had in the quality system regulation in Part 820. So all of that language has already been aligned. So I frankly think that for digital health companies, as you think globally, this actually makes your life a little easier because you just have one set of expectations to meet.
0: We'll definitely have to have you back to talk about QMSR, especially when, when it reaches publication.
1: Yep, any, any second now.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I know. Well, it's the end of the year. Yep. I was kind of expecting to ask, you know, how is it?
1: You know, that's probably just a piece of news that for those that aren't aware, Jeff Shearn, who runs the Center for Devices, all year long had said, I think by the end of the year, we should have it out. Technically, he's right because it's now out of the FDA as a final rule. It's just waiting on the White House to give it that final regulatory review before publication. And that can take anywhere from a few weeks to several weeks. So it could still happen before the end of the year, or it could happen early next year. We just have to wait and see.
0: But they got it out.
1: They got it out. So Jeff Jeff Sheeran can technically say he met his target. That's right.
0: But yeah, just to just to finish up, if I could go off script, because you've obviously you've been in the industry for a while, you've seen how.